Good evening, everyone. My name is Maddie Kahn. It's a pleasure to be here with you all this evening. I'm the Assistant Director of Grow here at Northbrook. So I help with everything from life groups to leadership development. And I've been working here for about two and a half years now. It's been an absolute joy. And as some of you may know, I actually grew up attending this church as well, all throughout my entire childhood and into my young adulthood. And ever since coming on staff, it has been such a joy as I've realized how much this congregation has poured into me, has helped me along in my own journey. So being up here this morning, it's a little bit hard to describe. It's kind of surreal, but it's a a special moment for me, and I'm so grateful for all of you. I absolutely love being a part of this church. So before we jump in this morning, let me just open with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for everyone here today. Help us to experience and recognize your presence with us this evening. Thank you for all that you are doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. The year is 2016, and I'm sitting across from my future wife, then girlfriend, Christina. We're in our favorite college coffee shop up in Eau Claire, and I'm about to ask her a question. It's a big question, and I'm not entirely sure what she's going to say. So I look at her right in the eyes, and I ask her, Christina... Will you run a marathon with me? <laughs> what do you think I was going to say? No. <laughs> See, I've been getting into running for the first time. I'd gone on a few three-mile runs here and there, so I was feeling pretty good about myself, right? And the next step was obviously to run a marathon. No, no 5K, no half marathon, the full shebang, 26 point two miles. That is my personality in a microcosm, if you're wondering what would possess somebody to do that. Usually Christina, she's the one who balances me out a little bit, right? She keeps me from biting off more than I can chew. But on this day, surprisingly, I think looking back somewhat reluctantly, she agreed to do it. She agreed to run the race with me. And, And with that, We began one of the most physically demanding seasons of my life up to that point because we had to get in shape, right? It was difficult to be sure, but, but looking back, I remember that time of training with such fondness. I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, I now had an excuse to spend hours and hours of uninterrupted time with the girl that I was hoping to marry one day, which was pretty cool. And number two, I was accomplishing things that I never thought, that I never dreamed I was capable of. The, the guy who could barely run ladders at basketball practice in middle school was now running five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles at a time. And this experience, it gave me a whole new perspective on the power of training that the power of training, training it's something that most of us are familiar with in some sense, right? Whether that be physical training similar to what I just described or, or maybe vocational training for a career. But let me ask you a question. Why do we train? Why do we train? 
I would argue that we train in order to make what was once an impossibility a possibility. I'll say that one more time. We train in order to make what was once an impossibility a possibility. When I had asked Christina to run that race, running anything over 10 miles or probably five miles if I'm being honest, would have been impossible for me. My my body, it wouldn't have been able to do it. But through training, the impossible became possible. I have a good friend who, who just started a career as an electrician. And when he started, he knew absolutely nothing. Like no wiring, no safety protocols, not anything like that. But now, through months and months of training, he is now at a point where he can positively contribute to a job site. What was once impossible for him has now become possible. You get the point, right? Physical training, vocational training, they clearly are powerful. But I would like to present a question to us all this evening that we can reflect on, that we can keep in our minds as we move into our passage. And the question is this, what about spiritual training? What about spiritual training? Is there a place for spiritual training, if you will, as we seek to apprentice ourselves to the way of Jesus? We're going to spend some time today exploring that question together. Sound good? All right, so we're now about halfway done through our journey through 1 Corinthians this summer. Um, The Apostle Paul, he has thrown a lot at us. We've looked at everything from issues of division in the church, issues of leadership. We even got the talk from Pastor Mike. That was was kind of fun, right? I see the teenagers are still kind of cringing from that week. But Paul, he has used every persuasive tactic in his arsenal to try to get through to these Corinthians. He used logical arguments, emotional appeals. He's even used sarcasm at times. And if you were here last weekend, you'll remember Pastor Ronaldo did a wonderful job of walking us through chapters 8 through 9, which you could really sum up as a section on matters of conscience or issues of Christian freedom. And in summary, we learned that these matters of conscience, these gray areas where people can sometimes disagree, in Paul's mind, they are never grounds for division within the church. Never grounds for division. In his mind, they are areas for us to submit to one another in love, areas where we can serve our Christian brothers and sisters better. I love the way that New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it when he summarizes this section. He says this, freedom is important, but in Christian terms, it is never the freedom of a subatomic particle to to whiz around in all directions in an apparently random fashion. I I like that image. It kind of sticks in your head. It is always freedom for, for the Messiah, for God's people, for those who need the gospel. Listen to this. Christian freedom is not freedom to do whatever you'd like, but freedom from all the things that stop you being the person God wants you to be which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. So as we continue on now this evening, we're going to take a look at the very last part of chapter 9 
together. We're going to find one more exhortation from Paul. It's related to this previous section. It's full of this really cool cultural symbolism. And as we dive into this, my hope is that we're going to see how in Paul's mind, this idea of training that we just discussed It's not just limited to the physical. It's not just limited to the vocational. But it just as much, or even more so, I might argue, applies in our spiritual lives as well. It's kind of our roadmap. That's where we're going tonight. So if you have your Bibles or or your apps, I have to keep my generation in mind as well. Um, Please open to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. I'll read through verse 27. It'll be on the screens as well. Just a small section this morning, uh, but packed full of great stuff. Paul writes this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." So in this passage, Paul, he is employing a a specific metaphor that his original audience would have been very familiar with. This, This is cool, you guys. When he references the games in this passage... He's not just talking about a general athletic event, okay? He's actually referring to a particular local competition, what were called in those times the Isthmian Games, the the Isthmian Games. In these games, they were a massive event in the Roman Empire, second in popularity only to the Olympic Games, which were actually going on at that time as well. And the Isthmian Games were held every two years near Corinth to honor Poseidon, the the mythological god of the sea in that culture. So Paul, he would have most likely experienced these games. He, He may have even attended them in the brief time that he lived in Corinth around 50 AD. So in typical missionary fashion then, he uses this shared cultural experience to his advantage as he exhorts the Corinthians. And most scholars, they they believe that the athletes who competed in these games, they would go into this very strict training regimen about 10 months prior to the competition. And, And the sole focus during this time was to do whatever possible to become victorious in these games. They, they separated themselves from their communities. They followed these crazy diets. It was fascinating to read about it while I was preparing for this message. So, so we pick it up with Paul, and in effect, he's saying if, if these athletes that you've observed participating in these games, if these athletes can take this approach, can, can discipline themselves for something that in the end doesn't really matter all that much, something that in the end is only temporary, is only a worldly prize, can't you take that same approach? Can't you discipline yourselves for the one thing that is truly worth it? The one thing that is eternal, life in the kingdom of God. Obviously, this metaphor that Paul uses, it can only go so far, right? That the goal of the games was to beat out everybody for the prize. 
Paul isn't telling the Corinthian believers that they're running against one another. He's not telling them that they should compete with one another. Rather, he's telling them that each one of them should run to win. Well, whatever that means for them in in their context, in their career, in their family, they should run to win. Like the athletes, they should put in the necessary discipline and effort in their Christian walk, training themselves in the ways of the Spirit so that what was once impossible for them may become possible. Author Dallas Willard, one of my personal favorites, he he says it better than I can. He says, because just as with the physical, there is a specific round of activities we must do to grow in our spiritual lives. One must train as well as try. An athlete may have all the enthusiasm in the world. He may talk a good game, but talk will not win the race. Zeal without knowledge or without appropriate practice is never enough. An author and pastor, Eugene Peterson, he he puts it much more succinctly. He says this passage could be paraphrased like this. I'm giving everything I got. I'm giving everything I got. No more sloppy living for me. I love that. It's clear that in these scholars' minds, as well as in Paul's mind, there's a certain amount of effort required to be fruitful in our spiritual lives. And remember, it's, it's important to point out here, this isn't a question of trying to earn our salvation, right? Paul, he has made his position on, on salvation very clear in other parts of his letters. I think of Ephesians 2 in particular. It's a free gift. It's by grace. You can't do anything to earn it. This isn't a question of trying to earn our salvation. This is a question of what we do with our salvation, Will we put in the effort? Will we train ourselves? Will we work it out? Or will we disregard the discipline and forsake our part in our spiritual formation as Paul saw some in the Corinthian church were doing? That's what Paul is getting at here. So if I'm being honest with you all this morning, I have never been to a personal trainer before. Um, I hope that's not too obvious but I know there's probably some fitness junkies out there, so you can let me know if I'm off base on this next thing that I'm about to say. But I am willing to bet that if you asked any personal trainer how they begin a session with a new client, with a brand new client, that the vast majority would have a very similar answer. I I think that they'd say they begin by discussing the new client's goals right? The goals. They, they, they talk about the changes that this individual would like to see in their lives as a direct result of this training. Lose weight, build muscle, whatever it is. They begin with the end in mind. So if we take this same approach then to Paul and what he's saying in this passage, what are the ends that he has in mind? It's, it's important for us to look at this because remember, we don't just train to train, Right? Perpetual training doesn't have any inherent value in itself. We train in order to become something, to, to reach a desired end, to, to make what was once impossible possible. I'm going to have you guys saying it along with me by the end of this. So. 
To answer this question, let, let's look at where these verses fall in the context of the letter as a whole. Remember, our, our passage this morning, it serves as the conclusion of a longer section, these issues of Christian freedom that we looked at last week. And Paul, he's talked about a number of things that, that followers of Jesus should be ready to give up if it means that they will love their brother or their sister better. And he includes in this list his own rights as an apostle. I mean, I love that about Paul. He always leads by example when he's encouraging his churches. And, and when he explains why he has been so ready to give these things up, he says this in chapter 9, verse 19. Again, a bit of review from last week, but important for us to reiterate. It says this, I have freely and happily become a servant of any and all so that I can win them to Christ. I freely and happily become a servant of any and all so that I can win them to Christ. The ultimate reason why he has given himself to this training, the end that he has in mind is to win others for Christ. And, and notice that this winning that he refers to, it's, it's not accomplished by being the smartest. It's not accomplished by yelling the loudest. It's not accomplished by being the perfect moral person. How is it accomplished? We're, we're told in this verse. It's accomplished by becoming a servant. A servant to any and to all. How backwards is that, right? When do you hear the word serve and the word win in the same sentence? But that's the model we are given by Paul. It's also the model that we're given in the life of Jesus, I might add. So in conclusion, we we spiritually train in order to become happy servants so that we can effectively share Christ with the world. That is the end that Paul has in mind. So then if, if this is the why, if we've nailed that down, let's, let's get very practical with our time left here and look at the how. Because I, I truly believe that Paul's invitation to the Corinthians 1,500 years ago, it's the same invitation to all of us at Northbrook today, wherever we find ourselves on our faith journey. We'll look at two important ideas for how we can effectively train as we wrap things up. But before we jump into those, just a a quick thought when we talk about our part in our spiritual training, because I've talked about how we train in order to make what was once impossible possible, and, and this makes perfect sense with physical training and vocational training, but with spiritual training, we actually have to take it one step further. Author John Mark Comer, he helps us out here. He says it like this. Spiritual training, it's similar but different. It's similar in that it's any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort, the impossible to possible. We've talked about that. But it's different in that not only are you exercising your own capacity to do the right thing, but you're also opening yourself up to a power far beyond your own, that of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. You are creating time and space to access God Himself at the deepest level of your being. What He's saying here is that we are not working at this alone. This isn't a a direct input 
direct output scenario. As we train spiritually, we are joining in with the generative work of the Holy Spirit, that the work that he is already doing within us, transforming us into people who can truly love God and serve others. Things that were once impossible in our spiritually broken state will be made possible through the Holy Spirit. So we find that our own efforts, while they are extremely important, I don't want to downplay them, our own efforts only serve as the the kindling for the redeeming fire of God within us. So with that being said, our, our first idea for effective spiritual training is to have a structured plan. Have a structured plan, right? It seems, it seems so simple, but it's funny because many of us, myself included, in certain seasons of my own life, we have structured plans for pretty much everything in our lives, our, our health, our jobs, our finances, our retirement. We have these in place for pretty much everything besides our spiritual life. And if we hope to effectively train in this area, we have to put a plan in place. We have to direct our everyday activities towards that end. And in church history, this concept is typically called a rule of life. We don't have time to get into all of the intricacies of what a rule of life is, but I'll give you the basics. A rule of life is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. An intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. And an effective rule, it's going to include spiritual disciplines, it's going to include relational rhythms, and it can be an absolutely transformative framework for anyone who follows Jesus. And, and really, I mean, as far as the spiritual disciplines go, this can be as basic as waking up 15 minutes early, spending some time in quiet and in prayer with the Lord, or, or picking up one of our, our New Testament Bible reading plans on your way out and, and prioritizing that once a day. On the relational rhythm side, maybe that looks like prioritizing family dinner, if that's in the cards for you, or, or setting aside one day a month to serve that elderly neighbor that you know needs somebody's help, that the possibilities are endless, and, and everyone's plan isn't going to look the same, that the point is that we prioritize these things that feed our spirits instead of the other way around. We, we, we prioritize these things. We don't just try to fit them in into our already hectic schedules. We, we train with a structured plan. And this brings us to our second and final big idea for effective spiritual training. Let me take you back to where we started our conversation I was training for a marathon with Christina, and as I said, we spent months training for this big day. I'd say overall, our training went well. We, we had our plan in place. We were hitting our goals. We had limited injuries. Everything was looking up, and then race day came. And I'll start with this. Christina did great. <laughs> Christina did great. She was ready to go. I, on the other hand did not do so great. I don't know if it's something I ate or if the nerves got to me or something else, but 
from mile like 12 all the way to the end, I was absolutely miserable. What I had expected to be a day of excitement and accomplishment turned into this grueling physical battle. And around mile 20 or so, it it got really bad. Like, I just wanted to throw in the towel. I wanted to quit. I didn't even, I never wanted to think about that day again. Wanted to give up. But I didn't. I finished the race. I didn't finish well, but I finished. And I've reflected on that experience a lot over the years and kind of on where I found that determination to keep going. I'd like to think that it was my own willpower that I just powered through. I know if I'm being honest with myself, I know that's not true. My individual willpower was completely depleted at that point. I think there's a, a different reason why I finished on that day. I think the reason is because I had someone running next to me. Someone who didn't leave my side, even though she could have easily left me in the dust. I trained with Christina. I I ran with her. I was encouraged by her. And ultimately, I finished with her. We've got a picture. That's us. Little college us. (laughs) I'll never run another marathon again. <laughs> I'm not sure how Pastor John does it. I have a working theory that he's a robot, but we'll see. See if that pans out. That was just a silly race, but you know where I'm going with this, right? As we train spiritually, not only do we need a structured plan, we need one another. We need to train with a community of Jesus followers. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and it feels like you're on mile 20 with no end in sight when it comes to your relationship with God. All of that initial joy and excitement is long gone. You're wondering if you're going to be able to hang on, to keep going, to finish the race. We've all been there, right? I know I have. And I think about all of the people who I've learned from and leaned on in my Christian walk over the years. Many of you, again, are sitting in this room right now. My parents, my family, my mentors, my coworkers, my youth pastors, my friends, and I'm forever grateful for these people, forever grateful for you, because I wouldn't have had the strength to continue on without you picking me up when I was down, correcting me and extending grace when I was making mistakes, helping me to learn the joy of serving. These are all things that happen within community. The church is not some optional part of our faith. It is an essential part. We need one another. What does this look like practically? It's easier said than done, right? But You know these things. Keep coming on the weekends. It's so good to see everybody here. Invest in one another. Eat meals together, one of my favorites. Celebrate life together. Grieve with one another. 
If you aren't as connected as maybe you'd like to be here at church, maybe come fall, think about joining a life group for the first time. I actually know of a guy you could talk to about that. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't get that joke, the guy is me. So. <laughs> so tonight as we close, my challenge for us all is to train to be a servant so that we can win those for Christ. To, to make compelling followers of Christ, right? What we're all about here at Northbrook. For each of us to run whatever race has been entrusted to us and to run it well, to, to put that structured plan in place, to recommit ourselves to the local church, to, to God's plan for bringing his kingdom to this earth, and to recognize the fact that despite all of our differences, we, we desperately, we desperately need one another in order to reflect Christ to this world. Let me just end with a word of encouragement from the author of Hebrews. He says this, God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline, it isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who has made a way for us to be in relationship with you. Thank you that there's always deeper places to explore in life with you, that this is a never-ending journey into eternity with you. It's so exciting, Lord, to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Maddie.